Oh, Crossing family, I miss you. I love you. This church loves you. God loves you. I'm so glad you're here. I don't know what kind of week you had, but you couldn't have picked a better place to spend a little bit of time this weekend. I want to welcome those of you joining from all across this region at our different campuses, those of you watching online and inside. Before I jump into the sermon, I want to be able to share a special moment with you guys. I'm going to go ahead and have uh, Craig and Christy Phillips come up on stage. If you would give them a big round of applause, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, there they are. Yeah, they're coming together. They're coming up here. They've been serving. All right, come on in here. Uh, this is Craig and Christy Phillips, and they have two kids, Kai and Alex. And in our world today, there are over 7,000 languages, but only about 10% of those languages have a complete Bible. So that thing that you have that sometimes you don't read as often as you should, uh, there is an awful lot of people who don't even have the ability to ignore because they don't have one. There are over 2,000 languages that presently don't have a single verse of Scripture. And the burden on the Phillips heart for the last 20 years is to do something about it. This has led them to do some incredible work in Crimea, Ukraine. It has led to them devoting themselves to extensive educational pursuits. Uh, for Christie, it was applied linguistics and biblical exegesis to prepare for a career and a job and a calling with pioneer Bible translators and then becoming an administrator for adult education and literacy programs. For Craig, it's been focusing on perfecting and teaching English. Recently, they believed or believe that God is calling them to pursue on the mission field a deeper level, the translation of the Bible into different languages. And specifically, they feel called to the Caucasus region of Eurasia. There are 21 uh, languages in this mountain region with no access to scripture. And they hope that by August of next year to be firmly planted as an entire family overseas. Uh, which is incredible. Um, during their time here at the crossing, uh, they have been deeply involved in ministry. Uh, for those of you here at 48th Street, Craig is regularly on stage um, helping with the leading of worship. Christy has done an awful lot for those of you who are watching online, behind the scenes with online. And then I don't even want to know how many thousands of cups of coffee she has served through One Mission Cafe. You probably know this, but if you don't, let me just uh, remind you. Um, at all of our locations, that One Mission Cafe, that dollar you put in for a, uh, you know, a cheapo coffee or whatever you pay for your super cool special, whatever it is, all that money goes to actually support, uh, in addition to our missionaries, what we get put in our budget. It's a way for, to just, for us to heap an extra blessing on all of our missionaries. And she has been serving those cups of coffee so that way uh, we could bless our other missionaries. But now it is our opportunity and privilege as a church to serve you guys and to bless you. Uh, this year, our elders, along with our mission board, made a commitment that when people from inside of our ranks decide to pursue the call of God overseas and they meet our qualifications, that we want to be the very first people in their corner and that we want to make a commitment to them for up to five years right out of the gate. And uh, there's lots of ways you can measure a church. You can measure it by its attendance, by its baptisms, by the number of people serving, the number of people in life groups, the number of people giving. Uh, there's all kinds of ways. Uh, but one of the most special ways is to measure, you can measure churches by the people it raises up and sends out to advance the kingdom of God. And so, uh, Phillips family, I need you to know this. 
This church loves you. We are incredibly thankful for you, and we are proud of you. And we are going to be rooting for you as you get ready to start this journey. I know, I got it in this pocket, make sure I don't mess this up. In addition to what we've already given you this year, in addition to the five years of support, we wanted to give you this check, which we've given you a check every service. You're, you're, yes, good to be a missionary this weekend. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, you guys, that's awesome. Uh, uh, we're, this brings our total commitment to you guys to $42,500. We could not be more excited for you. Uh, would you guys pray for them? Yeah, awesome. You guys are clapping. It's great. Look at this, standing ovation. I don't even have to preach now. Yeah, we can just, we can just sing a worship song and go home. Uh, would you extend your hands towards them? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Phillips. Thank you so much for the burden that you placed on their heart and their willingness to respond to it. God, I want to pray specifically for them as they get ready to um, go overseas. I pray that the adjustment for their kids will be smooth. I know the stress of kids changing schools just here in the States. I know the pressure parents can feel when they're just moving from one town to another. God, I can't imagine moving from one country to another. And I just pray that you would um, just make the entire process smooth for their kids. I pray for uh, Craig and Christy that they would have deep and meaningful relationships that would be formed quick when they move over, that they'd have great life-giving community. God, I pray that they would have um, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a brain to process all of the ministry opportunities. And as they get to be a part of some of the language projects, I pray that you bring clarity to the message. And God, that they would be able to see how their work is making a difference. We love you so much, God. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. We're rooting for you. Well, uh, this week we're starting a brand new sermon series called The Gift I Need. And we sent out some question, uh, questions among you, and you answered them, and I got to be honest with you. While I said I love you, I'm not proud of you. I'm a little worried, to be honest, as you'll see, because there are some savages in our midst. Uh, one of the questions we asked is, uh, uh, Christmas tree up before or after Thanksgiving? Yeah, you'd think that, but I'm ashamed to say that 39% of you put the tree up before you've tasted the turkey. And that is wrong. That is wrong. One holiday at a time. Sheesh. Uh, second one. Uh, it gets worse. How many of you have regifted a present? 77% of you said yes. You're killers. I'm not buying you anything. Good grief. At least just take the gift you don't like and then donate it to the thrift store. But I mean... Don't take a gift you don't like. I'm like, yeah, I didn't want it. You can have it too. That ain't, if you, yeah. All right, here's another one. Uh, when I, here's one of the questions. Be honest. Is it really the thought that counts? 20% of you said no. Like, I don't, if it ain't good, it ain't right. Okay? You're just like, I don't care how much time you put into this, and I don't care the thought. Your gift stinks. Um, I've got so much more, but I could only deal with so much sin in one sermon. Um, here's a real question. Right now, uh, if you came with a spouse or a boyfriend or whatever you, whatever you brought with you, um, look at them. Pick who's the best gift giver in your house and let the best gift giver raise their hand. Okay. It's fine. There's nothing wrong. God put you together that way for a reason. I'm a lot like my dad. 
I don't know what 75% of the gifts are going to be, right? Like, I'm, I'm as excited as they are. Oh, my goodness, we got you that too? That's awesome, bud. But I do know which gift they're going to remember because that will be the gift that I picked out, right? Uh, how many of you, your budget people, you've got a budget for Christmas, we better stick to it. Okay. So I actually think the problem with America is nobody knows how to budget. Because for three services, it's been like, you know, ten people are like, yeah, we kind of pay attention to the rest of you. are like, let's just see what happens. Let's just see if smoke comes off this credit card or not. Um, yeah, anyhow, I'm a pretty strict budget guy for Christmas until I catch a vision for something spectacular. And then I'm like, all right, we'll figure it out. We just got to make this thing happen. You guys have been there too. Um, did you know that God's a good gift giver? Not like in like a theoretical sense, but the Bible goes out of its way to talk about his ability to give a good gift. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. It starts out rough. If you then, though you are evil, he's talking about you guys. Remember, Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving, regifting evil people. Know how to give good gifts to your children. So even though we're jacked up people, we still know how to put together a good gift. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And one of the signs of a good gift giver is their ability to give you what you really need more than their ability to give you what you want. One time, my dad gave me a gift uh, for Christmas. He got me an Iowa Hawkeye sweatshirt and a pair of work gloves. He's a pretty good gift giver. Um, and turns out uh, that was exactly the gift I needed because as soon as the wrapping paper was all put away, we went outside to work outside. And I was super thankful for these uh, gloves that I didn't like at first because when the wind kept blowing and the snow kept falling, that gift that my dad had given me in my past became incredibly valuable in my present. Well, the prophet Isaiah, 800 years before the Christmas narrative, takes pen to parchment, and he begins to write about this gift that God is giving to the world. Just like parents, as they browse through uh, pages on Amazon or walking through the aisles at a store, examining each present, carefully examining the potential gifts, picturing the elation and joy on their child's face as they peel back the wrapping paper and take in the present as it's finally revealed, he is writing to us going, check this out. And see as we're reading through it, if you can see the joy and the elation that he, and the anticipation. Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Judging by the lack of standing ovation and applause and shouts of joy, perhaps something has been lost in the 2,800 years since this was written. So can I do something? Instead of like preaching this thing hard for the next 20 minutes, would you just allow me to walk you through the text a little bit, teach you a little bit, and see if something doesn't change in your heart just a little bit? Because I think there's an awful lot we're missing when we read it. Let's examine these qualities about this gift a little bit more carefully. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. You know how it is in some of our uh, surrounding towns, the small ones? As you're pulling in, there'll be a green sign that says, home of, uh, for those of us living in Illinois, we're the land of Lincoln. Yeah, this jacked up plot of land gets a little bit of favor because, you know, Lincoln's from here. This is what he's saying is going to happen for the area of Galilee. That someone of such prominence is going to come out of their midst. That nobody will ever be able to mention this chunk of land without thinking about this gift. Keep going in the, in the text. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when the dividing the plunder. Here's what he's saying. Imagine a life plagued by stumbling and suffering in darkness. Think about all the things we take for granted because of our ability to see. He's saying think about all the doom and gloom and despair. But when this gift shows up, Despair and gloom will be removed. Darkness will cease because those living in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned and it traverses its way and all of a sudden the light and the warmth envelop you. And think about all the things that would change. And then he goes, pay attention to the joy of people at harvest. Now this gets a little lost on us because we're not as agrarian as his audience. But imagine being an entire community completely dependent on the farmers. And you go out and you sow your seed and you till up the soil and you, you weed it and then you pray for rain and you pray for a harvest. And all the while you're waiting for the harvest, you have what was left over from last year's harvest. And it's dwindling. It's getting smaller and smaller as everybody eats. And you're starting to wonder, will the new harvest come before the old harvest runs out? Will the new harvest give me everything I need to take care of my friends and my family and have enough set aside to sow for the next harvest? Will there be enough there that we don't go hungry between when the following harvest will arrive? And every day it doesn't rain, and every day 
it's not as sunny as you would like, and you see what you've stored up shrinking, wondering if what is to come will be enough. Imagine the joy of when you go outside and the harvest is finally ready and they start to bring in the sheaves and it's more than enough. It's more than enough for your family and your loved ones and your friends and it's more than enough to set aside to sow for next year's crop and it's more than enough for you to put aside to make sure that everybody is well fed. Your family will be okay. Provision is here. Isaiah is saying this gift that's coming is going to give you that kind of joy, the joy of provision. And then he says of the joy of warriors rejoicing over the plunder. Uh, to understand this one, you have to kind of go back in time. Let's go back a couple months. When a man looks at his wife and he kisses her goodbye and he grabs his daughter's face in his hands and he says, I want you to know I, you're beautiful and I love you. Listen to your mother. And then he goes to his son and says, while I'm gone, you're the man of the house. You keep them safe. You treat your mother and you treat your, your sister with respect. And then you join your other neighbors as you head off to march to the battlefield. Neighbors who used to just spend time laughing are now becoming a band of brothers in battle. As you're walking, one day you start to see the smoke from the enemy's campfires rising to the sky, it feels like it is blocking the sun and so you find yourself marching in the shadows. You finally get close enough to the enemy that you know that this is your last night before the battle. You're looking across at your fellow comrades, wondering who will survive. You're wondering, will you see your wife again? Will you see your son again? Will you be able to walk your daughter down the aisle? You're, you're sitting there knowing that you need to go to sleep so that way you're rested for the battle, but you can't keep, ask, you can't keep wondering. You can't, your mind keeps asking question after question. Oh, you want to go to sleep so you're rested, but you can't fall asleep because you're scared. The sun rises, and you go and stand next to your fellow comrades, and you know that in the next couple of hours, all of those questions will be answered. Will you live or will you die? Will you win or will you lose? Will you be injured? Will you be taken captive? And Isaiah says, like warriors rejoicing over the plunder, now you find yourself on the other side of the battle. Not only are you alive, but you won. And not only did you win, you're not going home empty-handed. You're going back to your wife, back to your daughter, back to your son, and you're not going back empty-handed. You have gone from the precipice of death to victorious and blessed. Isaiah is saying, when this gift shows up, that's how it'll be. Not only will you be provided for, but you will be victorious and blessed. This is what Isaiah is trying to get across. Verses four through five. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. I'm gonna hit verse five next week, but let's go back to verse four. You've heard me say this before. 
When you read the Old Testament, you are reading world history through uh, Israelite eyes. It is similar to you and I reading stories about the battles that have been fought here and for America. Their fight against the Midianites would be similar to our Revolutionary War. And the Bible goes out of its way to set up an interesting contrast with the story of the Midianites. You see, it's these Midianites who the Bible says are, their army is too numerous to count. I'm not a math person, but that's a lot. And God goes to Gideon, hey, I want you to lead an army against these, this army that's too many to count. And so they send out a call and 32,000 men show up to fight an army that is, again, too numerous to count. And then God looks at Gideon and goes, there's too many guys. And Gideon goes, say, what? God, I don't know if you do math, but there's only 32,000 of us. And your word says, your word's not mine. The army we're facing is too numerous to count. And God's like, listen, man, uh, send all the Cubs fans home. That's actually, sorry, that's not what it says. It just says, it says, send all of those who are afraid home. They just happen to be Cubs fans. Um, and, and listen, 22,000 people, dudes were like, yeah, I'm actually, we're going to be honest. This is a time of sharing. <laughs> I am afraid. And so you have 10,000 people versus an army that is too numerous to count. And then God goes, guys, this is way too many people. And Gideon's like, really? Okay. And God says, so take him down to the water. And for the guys that just reach down and grab some with their hand and pull it up to their mouth and laugh like a dog, uh, those are the, separate those guys from the guys who get down on all fours. And so they get over there and 300 dudes reach down with their hand and pull it up to their mouth and 9,700 of them get down on all fours. And Gideon's like, all right, this is going to be okay. I'm only losing 300. It'll be 9,700 against an army too numerous to count. And God goes, actually, I've been thinking it through. And uh, I think we're going to go with the 300. And Gideon goes, You're, oh, uh, okay, all right. Uh, so it's 300 versus too numerous to count. And he's like, yeah, that'll be great. And then so Gideon now has his army of 300. And then God's like, all right, now here's what you're going to need for the battle. Now tell me if this makes sense to you. He goes, uh, you're going to want some trumpets, some pottery, and I'm going to let some of you guys have torches. Now, if you were there, you're one of the 300. Like, all right, guys, time to get your weapons. Like standing in line, you and Frank and Todd, you're just, you get up. Uh, excuse, uh, I, got a, I got a pot. If I feel like, I, am I in the wrong line? Is this the cafeteria? Oh, no, you, oh, and a trumpet. I, I don't play the trumpet. This, and how hard do you hit someone with the trumpet? Like, hey, do we have any swords? Um, excuse me, Jesus, can I have a shield? God, I don't know if you know about this, but they've made spears. They're awesome. And God goes, no, 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 no. I want it to look like you guys beat up a marching band and then showed up for battle. Because I'll tell you what, a group of people that beat up a marching band, people are afraid of them, right? So here you are, getting ready for battle. You got your pitcher, and your trumpet, and your flashlight. All right, let's go give these guys what they got coming. To, we'll look. And check this out, with uh, a 300 people, 
armed with lanterns and trumpets and pottery, defeat an army that is too numerous to count. What Isaiah is saying is the oppression that you have been feeling will be broken in an unexplainable and majestical way. Well, who can do something like that? Who can make that kind of stuff happen? Well, it keeps going. Verse 6 and 9. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. How is this possible? How will there be so much light, so much victory, so much freedom? Well, to us a child is born. To us a son is given. What kind of baby is this? What's the kind of baby that has a government on his shoulders? Now, hold on a second here. Let that sink in. The entire government is going to rest on his shoulders? Now, the American government is uh, broken into three branches, but it's just mostly broken, right? Uh, You have the three branches, for those of you who slept through whatever class taught you that. I don't want you to think I'm smart. I just Googled it. Um, We have the legislative branch, the executive branch, and the judicial branch. Yeah, I could have done that part from memory. Uh, The legislative branch, they make the laws. Okay? This is where you have the upper and lower house. You have the house of uh, of uh, representatives, and you have the Senate. The problem is, for some of us, I'm not saying me or you, but for some people, the problem with the House of Representatives is that they're only in office for two years, so they never stop running, and they never really get around to governing. And potentially, some of you may be frustrated with the Senate because you have the exact opposite problem. You feel like you can't ever get those guys out of the office. And then you have uh, the legislative branch, or you have the legislative branch, and then you have the executive branch. They're in charge of executing the laws, making sure that it happens. It is here that the office of the president resides. And depending on where you are on the political spectrum, some presidents, four years is way too long. And for others, eight years is not enough, right? Depending on where you are. And then, then, You have the judicial branch. This is where the laws are evaluated. And at the pinnacle of this group, you have the Supreme Court justices. And based on how we interpret the words good behavior, they basically get lifetime appointments. Which means if you get a bad one, the good news is you have them for life. And as they get older and their mental abilities fade, they still get to weigh in. Now, I think this is one of the best systems on planet Earth but it's a little broken. And think about what happens every two to four years. The uproar, the panic, the fear, the frustration, families divided, friendships lost, ideologies mocked, common sense reduced, hurtful rhetoric spewed. But this boy is the government. It is here where it rests on his shoulders No election, 
no end to his reign, no skeletons in his closet, no reduction in his power or abilities. The full weight of the government will be majestically and purely carried out. Well, what kind of ruler will this baby be? Well, this is where we get to my sermon. Uh, There's a bunch of qualities they use. I'm only going to mention two of them. The first one is that he will be a wonderful counselor. And the second one is he will be a mighty God. Now, something interesting here for those of you who are big into the English language. The word wonderful here is not an adjective. It's not an adverb. It is this abstract explanation. uh, What Isaiah is trying to say is this is too magnificent for you and I to understand. We'd have a better chance of taking a communion cup and filling the entire, um, draining the entire Mississippi into it. He's trying to get you to go, the only possible explanation is that God was in it. Uh, Here's what I mean by wonderful. When God pulled water out of a rock and it took care and quenched the thirst of all the Israelites and all of their animals, how do you describe that? Oh, that's a wonder. And the only way that makes sense is if God's in it. How do you make sense of a small boy going up against a giant with only five smooth stones and a sling and bringing a giant to his knees? Well, that's a wonder event. The only way that that makes sense is God. See, when we read wonderful, you think Thanksgiving. Oh, Becky came by, and we just had a wonderful conversation. This is the exact opposite. This is something just took place that's unexplainable. The only way you could even begin to make sense of what you saw is that God made it make sense. To Israelites walking through the Red Sea with a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on your left, how do you explain that? Oh, that is a wonder. That only makes sense if God's in the picture. He's going to be that and a counselor? Now, we know what counselors do. They deal with us, they diagnose us, they deliver us. Some of you, you've been through the pain of going to multiple counselors because the counselor you got wasn't good. Some of you, you've had to deal with different medications because the prescription you got was bad. But when you show up to this God with whatever problem you face, whatever challenge you're in, whatever darkness you're navigating, when you show up to this counselor, You get three guarantees. This is how Alistair Begg says it. One, he will deal with you personally. This gift, this child, this son, this wonder counselor is going to deal with you personally. He knows you better than anybody knows you, even you. He will deal with you personally. You're not just... He's just going to keep running through the people. He's got a 9 o'clock and a 9.30 and a 10 o'clock, and he's only got 25 minutes to figure it out, and he's going to run the same play on you that he's ran on five other people. No, he's going to deal with you personally. He's going to diagnose you properly because he has access to infinite wisdom, and since he knows you better than anybody else does, he can diagnose you properly, which means he can deliver you powerfully. But he's not just a wonderful counselor, he's a mighty God. 
what? This baby's God? Yeah. Look at how John describes him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Some of you, as you're studying, having a hard time reading your Bible from time to time, when you get into a text like this, just start asking a bunch of questions. Who's the Word? Uh, well, if you keep reading, we know that the Word is a dude. It's a guy. Well, who's a pretty famous guy in the Bible who all things were made through him? Look at your neighbor, regardless of how ugly they are. Guess who made them? God did. But so did this baby. Jesus was a part of your creation. He was a part of bringing you into existence. When you and I look at people, we are looking at somebody who's got the thumbprint of a master potter. That's who this baby is. He is mighty God. If he can make everything that you and I have ever seen, how much might does he have? How mighty is this baby? Well, he's mighty enough that he delivered the Israelites out of the hand of the Egyptians. That's how mighty he is. He's mighty enough that when he hits a rock, water comes out and feeds them and all, or it takes care of, uh, Gives, quenches the thirst of them and all their animals. Mighty enough that when they're walking through the Red Sea and there's a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left, and the only way you could describe it is God did that, that's how mighty he is. He's the kind of mighty God that gives them a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of, or a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. That's how mighty he is. How mighty, you ask? Mighty enough that he let them bring down Jericho with just a shout. Mighty enough that when he touched a leper, they were immediately healed, grabbed the hand of a crippled person and their hand was made right, spoke and the lame could walk. How mighty, you ask? Mighty enough that he just so happened to mention the name Lazarus and Lazarus came back from the dead. How mighty, you ask? Mighty enough that when he spoke to demons, people were delivered. How mighty, you ask? He was, in, uh, he was laying down asleep in a boat with his head on a pillow and a storm came up and all of his disciples were terrified. And they went to Jesus and they said, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care if we all drown? And Jesus woke up, wiped the saliva off his beard. Peace, be still. And the waves stopped waving and the wind stopped blowing. You can go home and check this out. Mark chapter four, see if I'm lying. Look what happens after that. The disciples say, who is this? That's wonder. What just happened only makes sense if God's in the picture. Even the wind and waves obey him. That's might. Who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Inside of here you see wonder and you see might. He is a wonderful counselor because he devised a plan to make you and I not just right with God but right with one another and right with ourselves. And he is mighty enough to carry it out. In fact, he is mighty enough to save all who will place their trust in him. This is what Isaiah was trying to put into your heart and in my heart when he wrote it. So can I read it to you one more time now that you know what he's trying to say? 
Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And I think you will discover that this is the gift we desperately need. And I'm willing to wager that deep down inside, it's the gift your soul has always wanted. Unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And he will be wonderful counselor, mighty God. We're moving to a time of decision. The incredible news is that this gift is for everyone. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're in the middle of right now, this gift is available to you. But I gotta be honest with you. This life with Jesus isn't easy. Oh, it's good. It's better. But I don't, I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube that's telling you that like, you know, life with Jesus is just up and to the right all the time. I just need you to hear it from me. Not true. Uh, life with Jesus is hard. Um, loving your neighbors, uh, that's hard. Not being greedy, that's hard. Not being selfish, that's hard. Not being a gossip, that's hard. Not being lustful, that's hard. Uh, Jesus calls you to incredibly hard things. Now, I'll tell you, it's the best life. It's a good life but it's a hard one. Jesus says, uh, when he's describing the Christian life, he says, pick up your cross and follow me. That, I don't know where you're from, but that doesn't sound easy. That sounds hard. In fact, the Christian life is so hard that you have to have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you to actually live it out. The good news is he gives that to you. He gives you the gift and he gives you the power to live it out. Now listen, uh, things that are good and are hard aren't new to you. Um, how many of you are, just, just look at me. Don't raise your hand. I don't want you to get in trouble. I'll just get in trouble for all of us. You're married. Is it ever hard? Just blink if it's hard. Okay. Yeah. Um, so some of you, you've been there. Is it good? Yeah. 
Is it hard? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's really stinking hard, Jesus, okay? She's so perfect, and I'm so flawed. Um, so she tells me, right? Um, it, is, it, is, it, is it good? Yeah. Is it hard? Yeah. Uh, parents, raising a kid, is it good? Having kids? Oh, yeah. Ugh. Is it hard? Some of you suckers, you're in here with your first kid. You still got it in the cute little basket. And every time someone asks you, like, how are you doing? You're like, I'm just so tired. <laughs> it's just a big adjustment. It's a lot. It's a lot, Clayton. Just having this precious life and all the things that come with it. I just needed you to hear it here first. Uh, what you're experiencing right now is as good as it gets. <laughs> okay. You will beg to be tired. Okay. Because <laughs> right now you're just physically tired. But those of us who've been parents for a while, we're emotionally tired. We're spiritually tired. We're fragile. Someone might die today. Okay. You're Because right now, you know what that kid does? It sleeps all the stinking time. It wakes up, it cries for a little bit, you eat it, you burp it, you change it, and you put it back to bed. That's it. It doesn't go anywhere you don't want it to go. It doesn't have any friends that you don't want it to have. It has no crushes. It has no attitude. It never dirties its room. It doesn't try on five outfits and leave them on the floor. It just burps and pees and poops. And those of us who've had teenagers are going, I'll take that all day, every day. That's why your parents like your grandbabies. So when you come up to us like, yeah, it's just been tough. We're like, hey, 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 just you wait, okay? Parents, parents, come here. Parents, come here. I'm your pastor. Is parenting good? Is it hard? I'm just telling you some of the very best things in my life are both good and hard. And what I'm telling you is following Jesus is good. Oh, it's good. But it's hard. But you will not regret it. And if you've never started an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, don't put that off. In just a few moments, there's going to be somebody over by the baptistry who'd love an opportunity to talk with you and pray with you about it. To the rest of you in the room, my fear is that if you've been a Christian a long time, sometimes, sometimes, and maybe it's not you, but our eyes can get some scales on them and our hearts can become hardened and we are no longer rejoicing over what we have in him. And I pray that just one part of this sermon was able to stir your affections for Jesus so that way we, we would live for him and be a light for him to a lost and dying world. And if maybe you're in a spot where you just need to kind of repent of where you've been or try and get some things right and maybe beg God to start a new fire in your heart, the steps are going to be open for you to do that. Would you stand with me? God, do a mighty work, a work that only you can do. You know exactly what every person in this room and every person online needs. And so, God, I'm asking for you to show up and deliver that. Do a work that only you can do. God, bring a unique gift to every person. In your name I pray, amen.